The Home Show with Sinead Ryan on News Talk. You're very welcome along to the Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up this week, top fashion designer Paul Costello joins me to chat about his homeware collection. We are investigating the ancient art of bookbinding, conscious innovator Zara Simmons on hero products and shopping consciously, and the evolution of the kitchen oven with show regular Jennifer Sheehan. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our shows, which are podcast up on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, I, I want to start by asking uh, listeners this morning whether or not you're in a book club. Or do you like nothing better than curling up with a great read? Well, I'm a yes to both. I love reading and uh, I have uh, been the owner of a Kindle, like lots and lots of people, for years. But there is still nothing like the touch and the smell and the feel of a real book. And my interests usually lie between the covers, but I love the look of a beautiful book, glossy, heavy paper and a nice finish. So I'm really looking forward to chatting a little bit later on to two bookbinders who have come all the way from Hong Kong to Leitrim uh, on the art form of making books. So that'll be something to look forward to. Uh, But before we get to all of that, here's my question of the day. Is it books, Kindle, or a bit of both for you. Let me know 53106 or email us on the home show at newstalk.com. Now, my first guest is one of Ireland's best known fashion designers dressing some of the world's most stylish women, including royalty. He's also a homewares designer and his Paul Costello living collection for Dunn stores is a favourite among shoppers. Paul, you're very welcome to the home show this morning. Good morning to everybody. Now, we're delighted to have you with us. It's been a busy week for you. London Fashion Week, I imagine, is probably the peak of your of your calendar. Tell me a little bit about the season that you've currently designed. I believe your wife and son were a big inspiration in it. Well, everybody's involved. Everybody, everybody's got an opinion in fashion, so so there's no shortage of, of ideas, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, no, no, they're, they're all... On the cusp, yes, yeah. Uh, but in the end of the day, I do call the shots. At least I try to. So I just had my spring collection only uh, what a couple of months ago. So now I've um, I've got autumn on my way. So it's um it's it's pretty pretty fast moving business. Now the theme for your collection. Now, as you say, you're thinking of autumn. We're only coming out of winter, uh, so you're always thinking ahead. And Dublin is such an important city for you. Uh, to what extent did that influence your designs? Well, it was influenced by uh, what what we did for the previous autumn season. We did a collection from the Book of Carols, which was very well received. And then with the success of, of our cinema, the Oscars coming up and we may have a winner. It's, it's, it's part of our culture at the moment. And Ireland is very important. And Dublin, of course, is very important. So I, I picked on good old James Joyce, uh, <laughs> who's... Um, was an amazing character, a difficult person, probably like like myself to some extent. Um, and um, it was um, great to uh, uh, interpret my, my love for Dublin into, into this collection using Irish materials. I'm, I'm quite excited about it. Wonderful. Now, of course, you've lived in London for practically all of your career. Uh, and I suppose people will remember 
possibly one of your big breaks in terms of your own brand receiving international recognition came in around 1982 after you became a designer to the late Princess Diana. Uh, and of course, I know that you had you had a personal friendship with her. Now, of course, the King's coronation is coming up on the 6th of May. Uh, are you expecting a call from the new Queen Camilla? Unfortunately, probably not. <laughs> um, you know each other, uh, though. I wish. I wish. I would be most thrilled. But uh, I think she has her own favourites. And um, uh, so I'm afraid I, I know I'm, I'm, I would not be on that list. And um, um, unfortunately, yeah, but well, it keeps me humble. It'll, it'll be a big occasion nonetheless. I'm sure I'm sure you'll be designing for some, some of the people attending. Now, Paul, you moved um, into different collections. You, you have eyewear, bags and of course the one we're interested in the home show uh, the living collection uh, at home for Dunn's stores and you've been doing that now what since about 2005? The um, home collection for, for Dunn's is pretty amazing it's, it's you know we we cover the world and uh, including Ireland and we, we just try and get the most beautiful styles uh, created in, in many cases hand created uh, as well as my son William is very involved uh, in in a, a, a lot of the ceramic, a lot of the design side, and we've got a lovely team. And um, I'm really privileged to be working with with them for so long. And uh, they've been um, it's 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 really solidated my my Irish presence, and um, it's been um, it's been a good time. And uh, I'm hope for long it will continue. And it's such a beautiful collection. I mean, I can't imagine there's anybody out there who hasn't bought at least one piece of it. This <laughs> yeah, this person I- included, you know, uh, yeah, or the cushions or, you know, the table lamps or, you know, I'm just you thinking know, I what, what ladies, I have. <laughs> I get these ladies, uh, you know, they're probably not superstars, but they walk up to me saying, oh, I slept in your sheets last <laughs> night. You know, probably, and what I love about Irish women is they are, they're not afraid to talk to you, you know, at any point or any time. And I, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. The English are a little more d- d- discerning. A little more reserved. And, um, you know, you never know what to say sometimes. What's involved? Because I'm always fascinated by clothes designers, fashion designers like you, who pivot into something that to me would look like a, a completely different job, a completely different gig to design homewares. Is it that different? And, and what kind of brought you into that sphere? Well, it's really, it's a matter of, it's like a taste. It's like a well-made coat, a well-made dress, whatever. This is the same for ceramics. It's all to do with shape, form. And I'm, I'm not very good on, on serious formal dining. I'm very much casual. I'm a casual person. We have seven children. And uh, on weekends, you could have up to 20 people around our dining table. And, and that's the kind of lifestyle uh, I love and, um, you know, sitting around talking, just enjoying um, ceramics, uh, large, big plates, generous, generous jugs. <laughs> I'm always in trouble for producing too many jugs, but, but I, I think jugs make wonderful vases. And uh, in fact, I'm just sitting here at the moment and I'm looking at... Uh, uh, one of one of my jugs filled with with daffodils because now's the time for mm, daffodils. I know mm. they've been grown in in hot houses, but but they're most beautiful flower, you know. And William William Wordsworth loved them, so uh, and they they are amazing. How how that that colour that, that that yellow is so gorgeous. Uh, flowers are are very important to have in your house. 
Now, when it comes to, and I know that you use a lot of florals in your own homeware designs, but when is too much, too much? Because, I mean, I think lots of people get confused about maybe what to put with what and, you know, when an accent becomes overwhelming. So give us some of your tips about putting together um, a look for a room. Um, I, I would recommend, number one, keep it simple, you know, and uh, clutter doesn't work. <clears throat> and um, if and generally having a, a, a background that would be maybe a cream, a pale grey, and not not strong strong colours, not not like a, a bold orange or a bold yellow. Keep it keep it really simple, mm. and then have unique shapes that that you love, and make them the centre. Um, and uh, just. Uh, Cut cut everything back down, and and whether whether it's maybe a rug and just keep it a beige rug rather rather than an overpassioned rug. Um, what what is wonderful and what sometimes it's sad is where people haven't uh, invested in in paintings. Paintings mm-hmm. can cost two hundred pounds, three hundred pounds, and painted by an artist, and it can be it, it can make the the room even more special, and a wonderful mirror. Uh, what what's on the wall? Some sometimes we kind of don't think about the wall as much, mm. and, and and there's so many wonderful artists in in Ireland, and um, you don't have to be paying thousands of pounds. Just a simple mm. little little watercolor, simple little little oil can make that room magical mm. with a with, with with a beautiful mirror from Dunn Stores. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and of course, you've something unique and you're giving a painter uh, a living as well. Now, Paul, exactly. um, <clears throat> I can't let you go. A, a quote that has followed you around through the years, of course, is is uh, when you when you once said of Irish women, they wouldn't know style if it tottered up to them in 10 inch heels. It will. Do you still yeah, believe I'd be like, it? I'd be like Oscar Wilde and throwing <laughs> things at me. <laughs> I, I think I blame my wife for for that. She she, she can be a little she can, she she can give me um she she's uh she she causes me a lot of trouble and she's she she's a Rahini girl and she's true and true. So so we sometimes ad lib a lot or, or, or say things without any any bad intentions. So. I still apologise to the Irish <laughs> women, the Irish nation of women, and I I hope eventually I I will be. Um, brought up to heaven at some point. All right. Well, listen, hopefully not too soon. <laughs> Paul Costello, thank you so much for joining no, us. Thank you. Uh, and thank continued you for having me. I really appreciate it very, very much. And continued success you, with the bless. collections. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. Anji Chan and Justin Larkin are two visual artists who've recently returned to Ireland and have trained in the art of bookbinding and print making. They've set up a collective called the Paradise Association to focus on these skills and join me now to explain exactly what bookbinding is. You're very welcome along, folks. Thank you very much for having us on. Now, it's lovely to have you here and you've brought in some fabulous samples uh, of uh, work and books and how they're bound and we'll get to them in just a minute. Let's start, though, with talking about uh, how books are made because this is something that is obviously around for what hundreds maybe thousands of years I believe thousands yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's definitely an art form but it's also a very practical way of keeping books and keeping writings and records and all of that Justin talk to me a little bit about the process of bookbinding um, yeah sure 
um, thanks again, Sinead, for having us on. I guess the process of bookbinding is, um, you know, you have your book block, which is the centre block, which is your pages, essentially, and then you you bind them together and then you assemble a cover. But, you know, you have so many different variations of doing that and you have very traditional methods. And what Angie and I try and do is to take them traditional methods and combine them with, you know, contemporary um, contemporary factors to make um, maybe new and unique products mm. or new and unique uh, variations of books. Angie, when it comes to making uh, the covers, some of the stuff you've brought in today, it's... It's linen and stitching and it's yes. not what you'd normally think of in a book where you'd have paper, maybe yeah. embossed paper or something. So how difficult is it to make a cover like this? Uh, well, uh, the ones that you're holding right now, they are actually, um, I was using a sewing machine to sew these drawings onto. Again, like we, we are official artists and we come from an artistic background. So when we come to make uh, books, we thought of what we know as yeah. well and what... Mm how we can apply what we know into these books like stitching we also do printmaking so uh, that book there like uh, it's actually a screen printed uh, pattern um, on the paper like inside the books but also so, for covers so oh I see what you mean so even on the even on the end papers here on the on the yeah, inside the cover papers, yeah. you have created um, oh gorgeous print <laughs> and and lovely uh, kind of an artistic yeah. rendition of that and and does it I suppose because you're across art forms you're, yeah. you're an artist yourself because I've had a look at your <laughs> at your website and, and you too you. Uh, Justin and um, do, do you find then that that technique helps you when it comes to this. Yeah, yeah I, believe, I think I believe so. so. I mean, it's you need certain skills and uh, attention to detail and, you know, in, in certain ways you need to be quite precise making mm. books and especially when you're printing the pattern. We also make artist books, which you'll see as something like this where... Oh, it's, it's like a, a concertina like type a concertina of guy. I was describing this on the radio and it's always um, a challenge. Okay. It's really just a housing for that artwork. Oh, right. How wonderful. Now, when it comes to choosing paper, of course, it's very, very important, the type of paper and the weight yeah. of paper and and uh, getting the print onto it. So tell me, uh, Angie, what, what you look for with that, what types of paper I you think, use. I um, think when we are making these books, like um, either it's artist books, uh, we, we think of the story that we are t- trying to say and what paper that suits the story. But also when we make these notebooks, we also think of how we can connect with the audience and when the person gets to write onto it, like uh, what would they be thinking about it? Like, So um, we tend to choose something uh, quite comfortable in colours, but also um, when we think of the materials, we thought it would be quite nice that it relates to the like daily lives and uh, for instance that... Um, book there there's a happy face and there's a sad face that <laughs> I stitch but on the book. I guess there's two sides and we just play around with um, the book form as itself having a back and front cover yeah and trying to tell a story even Ex- on the cover yeah. of, of, of what, it, what it's all about this is lovely this would be lovely to give well you wouldn't waste it on a child but it's, it's, it's lovely to give uh, for them. them it's beautifully stitched and uh, and it's amusing and it just wants to make you open up the book and read what's yeah. inside um, now you, I know you both studied in the Royal College of Art in London yeah, did you where Angie and I met yeah. Did you head to Hong Kong or did you study yeah, there or what we, we studied there uh, yeah well I, I went there uh, from Hong Kong and that's where we met and afterwards um, we resided in Hong Kong for like a um, good number of years and we just recently come back to uh, Ireland 
Yeah, and we were, uh, you have are you planning a studio there, or did I see that you're you're in in Hong Kong? Yeah, we yeah. we uh, we did have a studio there, a personal studio. But we Angie and I were teaching at universities as well. So um, as well as long alongside that, we were doing our own printing and essentially bookmaking mm. at the studio. Um, so yeah, and then we came back to Ireland. And we're trying to set up um, set up station here now, essentially. Okay. So we're setting up a studio, and we're also hoping to run workshops around the country, teaching people and just sharing um, bookmaking knowledge. Is it something now that can be easily learned? Because it strikes me that you'd probably want an awful lot of years of experience um, to be able well, to do if, this. If Angie and I are guiding you, uh, people seem to do okay. <laughs> this is a small book we made, um, and this was made by um, a mum. And oh, a child. Wow. Um, so you can see that the story is like about a bumblebee landing on a flower inside yes. a good quality. Um, oh, isn't that cover. lovely? It's so lovely, yeah. so the, so this was drawn by the child and yeah, then put and together then, and it's created a little book. on. Yeah. And that was uh, printed the, also. Like uh, There's an intaglio printing ah, at Dry Points that we were showing at the workshop. Absolutely beautiful. How interesting. And what a keepsake and a treasure for a family. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit now about this masterclass, this course that's coming up. Uh, it's later this month, the 25th of February. Isn't that yeah. right? Okay. What, what's going to be involved? What will people learn? Um, we're, we're taking on uh, in the Dock Art Centre in Leitrim we're taking on 10 participants to teach them how to do uh, two uh, different type of binding uh, and we're going for a Japanese style binding so the first is the accordion style which is very similar to the musical instrument the way it opens mm-hmm. out so that type of style book so it's it's essentially it's a long book um, and then the second is a, a four hole Japanese stab binding technique um, so participants will be learning them to binding methods. Oh, fantastic. Okay. And is it full up? Can people still go and, and join? Yeah, I suppose we're supposed to be promoting here. <laughs> but unfortunately, it is uh, booked out booked out quite quickly. And the, the workshops usually do. Yeah. But hopefully we can do more around the country so we can facilitate more people. But it is booked up. Yeah, do you great. think that people are kind of getting more interested now in tactile hobbies in I mean we've had people on the show who are involved in knitting and crochet and yeah. you know screen print and all that kind of thing do you think that that's just something people will always gravitate back towards Angie? I think so <laughs> funny enough like uh, especially during the pandemic like yeah. um, I guess there's a lot of time spending at home and people start thinking what should be like what should I be doing at home and I think maybe that's an, that it's one of the nice impact that I can see yeah. um, that brings people back to um, making art and it's for everyone really like it's not just for artists anyone can get into it um, it's something that makes people happy yeah and it's tactile and peaceful exactly yeah <laughs> I mean you're both very young so <laughs> oh, is this something that you're you're planning on staying with now for, for your careers along with the other art that you make yeah um, Angie and I both have individual art practice so yeah. we're definitely going to continue that but I guess with the skills we learned by traveling to Japan and learning these techniques and with our background in printmaking we definitely hope to promote and share um, these skills and this knowledge with the community and the public. So if people want to find a little bit more about you where can they do so Angie? Um, We do have a You have a uh, website? uh, Yeah we do have a website and uh, also an Instagram page Uh, it's at the Paradise Association the Paradise Social. Where did that name come from, Justin? I guess um, I'm not quite sure. We were brainstorming <laughs> one one evening, and um, and it was set up as a collective for Angie and I. So um, we just wanted something catchy. So maybe the Paradise Association came from 
Angie and I am being associated. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> fun yeah. and a bit quirky. Um, all right. And of course, the Paradise of Books, catchy. which I'm in every time I open up one. All right. Um, OK, well, listen, if anybody wants to see some of the books in action, the, the masterclass is sold out, but uh, the dock in Carrick and Shannon, that lovely art centre in Leitrim is absolutely fantastic and I strongly recommend uh, a trip down there for all sorts of reasons. Uh, But of course, you can have a look at books and binding and all of that thing. Uh, Angie Chan and Justin Larkin, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Now, my next guest, Sarah Simmons, the conscious innovator, started her career working as a buyer for some of the world's biggest retail stores like Harvey Nicks and River Island. And it was while working in this industry that she witnessed the waste that goes on and came to the conclusion that we all need to make big shifts and changes for ourselves and for the planet in order to live more consciously. Uh, Zara Simmons joins me now and you're very welcome to the programme, Zara. Can I start by asking you to give me some examples of how you believe we can shop more consciously? Absolutely. Well, the first thing is really to become conscious as a buyer yourself. We have enormous power today to be real change makers. And that is something from your point of view as a consumer, which you can actually take as something really, really incredibly exciting and powerful. As consumers, we have immense power to make retailers and brands change. And the way we can do that is by voting with the money we spend and what we invest in, showing brands and retailers that actually we care about buying consciously. So how you can do that in your home is really to start to literally look around room by room, start with your living room and, and, you know, start to ask questions. When you're making a new purchase decision, for example, you want to have a new rug for your home. There are so many amazing artisan brands out there, many of which I work with and I mentor, and they make their products in India. And those companies are often family-run companies that really care about social impact, and they really care about empowering the artisans that um, work with them to have a good quality of life. And they're often 100-year-old businesses or 70-year-old businesses, and they are experts in making high-quality items. So you want to really start to look and consider what purchases you're making and then look at the brands and say, you know what, if I save a bit more, you know, I know lots of people talk about this, but it is the idea for yourself of investing that bit more and spending in a hero product that's going to last you 10 or 15 or 20 years rather than a disposable item that might last you one to three. Now so you, that's t- an idea. Yeah. You, mon- you mentioned there a hero product. Is that something that is super sustainable, that it's like an heirloom piece? A hero product is many things. Um, yes, it's the idea of really um, buying individual pieces that are sustainable, um, they're also, you know, something that's an investment for you, something that is unique, something that is going to really bring a sense of identity to yourself and your home so that when people walk in, your home is looking absolutely unique and you know that you filled your home rather than um, investing in disposable items, investing in high quality um, heirloom items. Yeah, 
that you're going to pass down to generations. And the idea of hero products is something, you know, that actually is really important for consumers as well as for retailers and brands. Now, you founded the world's first net zero denim brand. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that, Sarah. Absolutely. So the idea um, today of conscious consumerism and conscious product innovation is really literally looking at each and every item that we make and saying, how can we reimagine that? That I was a buyer for Harvey Nichols. I saw the waste in the industry. I also saw how different items are produced, the chemicals that go into those items, creating items that are going to be disposable. Um, You know, that is happening in the luxury industry as well as the high street industry if we're focusing too much of our attention on trend. So what I did was start by looking at a pair of jeans and say, how can we reimagine this product to be sustainable, to be net zero, to be good for the people who make the product as well as those who wear it? And that process led me to create a new foundation of how we can build products. And that's looking from really a holistic point of view, Mm. from really the maker to the brand owner to the end consumer and making sure that we're creating a brilliant product that is good for people and the planet at each stage. That's what I did with a pair of jeans that I created. And that's what I help conscious business owners do today. And that is through the Conscious Innovator Mentorship Programme where you are teaching or nurturing CEOs of companies that uh, are in the process of manufacturing uh, items and and doing it in a way that is less waste. Absolutely, I do that. And I also help traditional business owners and CEOs who recognise that, you know what, now is a new era. We are in the era of conscious consumerism. The world doesn't want more stuff. We spend $44 trillion a year on stuff. That's $1 million a second. So I also help those traditional business owners that are ready to pivot their businesses to a new direction that leads with how they are conscious and how they are innovative first and how they are delivering hero products to the world. Wonderful. All right. And Sarah, where can people find you on Instagram? They can find me on Instagram at Sarah Simmons London. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Home Show, Sarah. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that was Sarah Simmons, CEO and Chief Mentor of The Conscious Innovator. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan. Now, is a traditional oven still a necessity in the modern kitchen or could you make do with some of the newer inventions. Well, to find out all about this, I'm joined by Jennifer Sheehan once again to talk about the evolution of the oven. Jennifer, you're very welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be here. Ovens. The oven. I mean, it's one of those things. Look, everybody has it, right? Mm. Everybody has an oven, right? Or several types of ovens. And it seems to me that you can spend, you know, 300 quid on one. You could spend thousands on one. Or you could spend spend thousands thousands on one. And I mean, away from the gorgeous Aga ranges kind of thing, just for the for the regular stuff. Um, And and I wonder, it kind of struck me from a historical perspective, and and I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. 
the whole kind of there was a turn of civilization yeah. when humans learned to heat food yeah. and how to do that and and ways to do that and it kind of changed everything really didn't it yeah. about how we evolved as people uh, because our nutrition is better and it's easy you know meat is easier to eat when it's cooked and yeah. all that kind of thing now you've been having a bit of a deep dive into the history of the oven and where it all came from so Tell us all you know. <laughs> well, I was curious because I, I think a lot about small spaces and fitting things into small spaces. And an oven is a big thing. And I, you know, it's evolved so much. We're all tied to our gas oven, our electric oven. It's, you know, you get, you're get you buying a kitchen. Where does the oven go? And we might not necessarily need them. So it's, it's good to think about it. So you're right. They've evolved a huge amount. And we went from foraging and eating berries to thinking we can farm things because we can cook them. So... It completely changed civilization, and it's worth it's worthy of you know a bit of respect. <laughs> but they've advanced a lot, so they went from you know being fire pits dug in the ground and covered over, and there are places that still do that. If anyone's been to a traditional Maori, um, uh, a traditional Maori hangi uh, cooking show or experience or whatever in New Zealand, very very fun to watch and beautifully tender food because it's cooked very slowly underground and it's just delicious stuff. And then that moved from a, a clay oven, which was actually portable so just made out of clay and wood burning and that was discovered as far back as ancient Greece and that you know really evolved things again then we went into fireplaces and big cauldrons and when I say cauldron I mean kind of a covered pot like a little bit like a big old version of today's Le Creuset casserole dish Mm. a Dutch oven (laughs) Um, and then we moved on to the cast iron stove so that got you know that evolved when they found out ways of you know burning the the logs and getting the heat kind of separated from where the foot the food is cooking and all that kind of stuff. Then we got gas ovens in the 1820s and they really evolved as houses got connected to gas. Then electricity came in kind of 1920s, 30s. It was, you know, every house had electricity and they got really, really popular. So that's kind of where we are. And that's not that long ago. A hundred years ago really is when kind of our modern oven as we know it really came into home. Yeah, and it's about that harnessing of of fire or yeah. of energy, isn't it really? Because you know, an oven it has to do a specific job, but it also has to be controllable. And, and yeah. therein lies the, the nub of things. I remember um, probably the two most extraordinary kind of cooking things that I've ever seen. One is, uh, for anybody who's ever been to Lanzarote, um, Tim and Faya National Park, this mm. big volcano, which is... <laughs> Still, still working uh, in in the middle of it. And if you go up to the top of it, they cook over the top of the. Oh my goodness! Yeah, of of the cavity. Lava burgers. Yeah, and uh, you get they spatchcock these whole uh, chickens. Wow! And slap them down, and the fire cooks them in minutes and you go off and you eat it and it's just fantastic. It's phenomenal. And they cook these canary and potatoes which are small little kind of rock hard little yolks and they wrap them up and put them in the ground where the the earth is so hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're fantastic. So like that's 2023. You know, people are still doing that. And the other one was uh, a trip I did to Hampton Court Palace, King Henry VIII's party palace as people will, will remember it. And they devised ovens in the vast kitchens there. Mm. I mean, presumably to cook the old swans he was partial <laughs> to or whatever. But there were three, what fascinated me was there were three huge ovens, mm. but they were set at different temperatures. Okay, okay. So you could move the food from very, very hot ah. to, to medium to cool. And I think that really is what the oven is about yeah. as opposed to just fire, yeah. isn't it? It's how many ways can you heat something? 
And then, yeah, can you control the amount of heat that it's getting? And then you can get confused with, is there dry heat? Is there steam heat? Is there wet heat? All kind of stuff like that. Yeah, well, I'm already, I get confused by baking and roasting and (laughs) coaching, you know, all the different terminology. Okay, so so a huge history there of, you know, from then to now. So clearly, clearly a very, very important um, appliance. And of course, now here we are when we have everything about everything and all the technology and we have uh, progressed it even further. Yeah. So this is the thing. And when you think about it in the terms of small space design, if you're trying to configure your kitchen and you're thinking, where am I going to put this big, massive heat box <laughs> to, to cook my food? Mm. You might not have to. And it's it's worth thinking about because there are lots of appliances now that are very precise, that are very good at cooking certain things. And if you're not somebody who who does, you know, the big Sunday roast, if you're not somebody who bakes, so I, I do have an oven because I love a roast. And more importantly, I bake. So I bake all the time. I have, you know, layers of cake tins in there and I do use all the space. But if I didn't do that, I'm not sure if I'd have a full-sized oven because you just, you know, unless you're heating up a lot of food at one time, you might not necessarily need it. So obviously... We've had recent advancements like the microwave. And I say recent, that's around the 70s. But, you know, that's yeah. that's a, a replacement for a lot of people. Is it though? I mean, you yeah. don't get... I know you can buy the combi ones with the... The combi the ones, the I'm here to sing their praises all day long. The combi ones are amazing. If you're someone who isn't cooking a lot of food, if you're not, if you're not talking about mm. volume... A combi oven microwave is your answer. But you're can, done. Can I disclose? I have one and I've never used oh, it. Oh, I use it all Except the time. as a microwave because I have an oven. And I want I that. use both though because you can, yeah, yeah. It's it's faster for roasting potatoes. That's what I use it for. And it's just, it's another, it's a second oven as well. But if, if you don't, if, if you're not using your main oven for roast or if you're not using it for, for larger items and if you're somebody who just kind of, you know, likes to heat up food and, and get moving and you want to have the option of doing something small every now and then, can be Yeah, oven. It's brilliant. Okay. It doesn't take up much space. A- and of course, the new kit on the block, the new oven on the block is the air fryer. The air fryer. Everyone's obsessed. <laughs> I was, I, I was, oh, I, well, I heard loads of things about them and once I saw you could bake in them, that's when I really yeah. came around and to the idea. And have you baked in them? Because I've I know baked, there's... I don't have one, disclaimer, okay. but my dad does. Okay. And it's fabulous. And he's done a roast chicken in it that is the nicest thing that I have ever had. I mean, it's just unreal. It's got really? Now, so here's the thing. I was we, I was gifted one last Christmas and I the Christmas before that and I have it sitting on the counter. I'm determined to get to grips with it and all I've ever cooked in it is chips. So I think an air fryer <laughs> can be confusing and really this is all it does. An air fryer is an oven. So it has elements just like, just like an oven that heat up, right? So that's step one. It makes the air hot, which is what an oven does. What it does better than an oven or different to an oven is that it circulates that air really, really quickly and really efficiently. So in your traditional oven, you know, we have our fans which do circulate the, the hot air around the oven. But this is really an, an evolution of that. It does it faster and it does it more efficiently. So your food is cooked very, very, uh, you know, very evenly um, and quicker because the air, you know, it moves around faster mm. and, it, and mm. it gets hotter. So you're not there waiting for food to kind of cook from the outside in or, or from the inside out. It's, it's happening very so evenly and very quickly. would you say now, as somebody who lives in a tiny, in tiny perfect <laughs> house, tiny, um, if you weren't a baker mm. and and you kind of had wanted to put shoe storage in instead of an oven, do you think you could get away with an air fryer? A hundred percent. And a microwave? Yeah, a hundred percent. Could you? Absolutely, yeah. So again... With all things when it comes to design, the first thing to think about is 
what is your life? What do you do? So it's it's worthwhile as you're designing your kitchen, sit down and think through it step by step. What do I actually make? And I'm not asking you to keep a food diary or a food line, <laughs> but what do I actually make? Like what, what equipment do I have that I'm using? Am I using casserole dishes? Am I using big roasting trays? Or have they been sitting in my drawer gathering dust for and years? And isn't that the other thing? Because it's not just the oven. It's yeah. all of the stuff that you have to, it's the shelves and the trays and the roasting dishes and all that, that you have to keep somewhere yeah. uh, to be able to use it. So if you lived in a very confined space, um, maybe you, you could do without it yeah. altogether. And you see that a lot with some of those newer, smaller apartments being built in, you know, very dense cities, especially maybe for people who commute and work there Monday to Thursday or something like that. And it's a little bit of a grim thought, but they are microwave only. But that's plenty for loads of people, especially if you're living somewhere that has, you know, amazing takeaways, amazing kind of home <laughs> delivery food options. But, but if you are someone even who does like cooking, but you're not somebody who cooks a huge volume or a roast, then there's so many other options. You have your air fryer, you have things like a slow cooker, mm. you even have, you know, portable electric rings. If you if you rarely cook anything on a hob, you don't need a hob out 24-7. It could be something that you, you know, that you take out and plug in when you use it and then sure, put it away the when you don't. and a griddle pan. Yeah. And the slow cooker, now I don't have one of those and I know people are very, very, they love them very much, yeah. especially if you're out all day and you want hot dinner when you come in. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, are you a fan of the slow yeah, cooker? Yeah, I am. I'm mm. going to give a shout out here to my friend Sarah. She has one and I love going to her house for dinner because her favourite thing is to throw a load of food in, you know, maybe a Friday morning and then text text her friends and say, girls come over for dinner yeah, and it's always delicious. Yeah, but again, yeah. it's it's what do you cook? So slow cookers are amazing for say stews and soups. You could even do a roast in it, but it's it's down to what do you cook and then what equipment do you need to cook that? Okay, well, I mean, there's so many options there now and, you know, the old convection oven maybe isn't the be all and end all. Um, yeah. But where do you see the future of ovens, Jen? I would wonder, is the air fryer going to evolve such that it's going to replace our, our regular ovens it because just they're become so efficient. mainstream and they're yeah. healthier, aren't they? They're healthier because you don't need so much oil to roast something because mm. they circulate the air mm. so effectively. If you are, you know, frying something or if you're if you're um if you're using oil to cook, you don't need as much of it. So maybe the the oven of the future will just be an, a giant air fryer. Yeah, I wonder right. because the the only limitation now is that they're a bit small. Mm. So you can, you know, I said my dad has done a roast chicken in it. It's a small chicken, but it's, you know, you wouldn't be doing it's your Christmas turkey. You wouldn't do it. your Christmas turkey. In it. But, but I we're mean, told, I we're hate told. turkey, so you know I'm not Listen, going to buy no one for a turkey. Chefs on the show, and they say the place you should be doing your Christmas turkey is out in the barbecue. Anyway, oh it yeah, be yeah, near I'm all for that. Yeah. All for that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, there's the evolution of the oven, and uh, let us know, folks, what you'd like to see. Do you use your oven much, or is it pristine and beautiful and clean as the day you got it? <laughs> because it just <laughs> looks nice. Uh, Jen, thank you so much uh, for doing all that research for us, and of course, you can find Jen and. Actually Actually, a lot of your baking is up on your on your Instagram site, which is at Workers, Workers Cottage. Cottage. And let me finish by asking you the question of the day, oh, which we kicked off the show with, Kindle or book? Oh, I have so many thoughts on this. I, I have loads of books. I love them. But it's hard to beat the convenience of a Kindle. Yeah. But can I give a shout out to Barrowbox, our local it's libraries. Super. Have you seen this? Barrowbox is Brilliant. amazing. Brilliant. This is the app where you can borrow any book that's in your library or any in the, in my case, the Dublin City Libraries or yep. wherever you live, uh, audio or print and you borrow it and read it on your device and, and send it back. It and it's absolutely fantastic. fantastic. And it is 
all free of charge, which is even better. So yeah. there you go. There's your best third option there. Option behind <laughs> the third boss. door. Jennifer Sheehan, former Home of the Year winner and home show stalwart. Thanks for that. And lots of inspo on your Instagram site. At Workers Cottage if you have any more questions. As always. OK. Thanks for listening to the Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan. And remember, if you'd like to get involved in the show, maybe you have a question for me. Well, do get in touch with us. And don't forget, you can drop us an email at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You can text us at 53106. That'll cost you 30 cent. And of course, you can find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And I know lots of you like to get in touch there. We will be back with the next episode of the Home Show podcast next week. And of course, you can listen live at eight o'clock on Saturday morning on News Talk. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan, Saturday morning at eight on News Talk.